Hey, welcome once again to Freedom Bible Church. We're glad that you're tuning in with us and want to continue to encourage you to use this time at home. Um, if you are the head of the home, to lead your family well, to lead them in worship and prayer on Sunday morning or whatever time you gather together uh, to, to, to worship the Lord and to listen to his word being taught. But encourage you to do that and to worship him well and, and enjoy him together and to have a thankful heart during this time of, of distancing and things. I want to encourage you, if you need prayer for anything, on our church website, uh, freedombible.church, Go to the contact area and just send an email. Um, we'll get that and we'll, we'll pray for you and we'll let the body know to pray for you as well. If you would like to be on our emailing list, go to that same thing on our webpage, the contact page. Send us your email address and we'll send you every week. We send out a, a weekly update and there's sermon notes on there and we'll keep you informed of, of what's going on. Uh, we are actually, we're excited that we're going to have a regathering day on a Saturday on May 30th, in a couple weeks, on May 30th, we're going to have a work day at the church building from 9 a.m. to noon. We're going to have Kodrowski's Donuts in the morning for everybody, and we've got a place called a Soul on Fire Pizza that we're going to have for lunch for everybody. We're going to come out. We're going to have a great time. Um, in our emails, we're emailing out the different jobs and the different items to bring that day. So stay tuned for that. We'll send that out on Monday so that you can um, you can see that. And we're going to also ask you to RSVP. Let us know who's going to be coming. We'll have a Google Sheet that you can get on and sign into, or we'll give you our, our Deacon Josh Wall's uh, cell phone so you can text him or call him. We just need to know how many people are coming so we know uh, how to fill up those different jobs and then also how much food to get. Uh, but we'll get, you'll get that email on Monday, and we're excited. We're excited that we can come together because we do that well together. We serve Jesus well together, and uh, we enjoy that fellowship with each other. Now, you might be asking the question, what about Sunday mornings? When are we going to start regathering again? And I mentioned last week, we're not reopening because we've been open. We have never closed. But when are we going to regather? And, and uh, we had a deacon meeting this last week, and we're having a leader meeting this coming week. So pray for us on Thursday night. But we're, we're looking at some June possible dates. We're just asking the Lord. We want to have uh, good wisdom and good judgment in, uh, in these decisions that we're making. Well, uh, let's pray together and we'll get started today. Hey, good morning again, Father. Uh, thank you for being kind to us. Thank you for being generous to us. Thank you that in, this world seems out of control, but we know that you are in control and we can rest in that. We can have hope in that. We can have joy in that. And I pray that that would be a reality for us, especially because we know Christ and Jesus is in our life, and your Holy Spirit is, is the giver of peace and comfort, and you draw us close, and I pray that we'd be able to rest and be settled in that peace and in that comfort and in that hope in Jesus, Father. Lord, I pray that um, the businesses that are suffering would not have to close, but would reemerge, Father, and be stronger than ever. That people who have lost their jobs would get back to work, Lord, and be able to provide for their families. We ask for your intervention, Father. I pray that our government officials would put aside their pride and agendas and just do what's wise and best for the people that they're supposed to be serving. Please help with that, Lord. But Lord, we recognize that there's a greater kingdom than this world that we live in, and that's your kingdom. And, and we are citizens of your kingdom if we've put our faith in Christ. And we're looking to you now, Father. You're our king. How do you want us to live on this world, on this planet? And we know that you want us to walk in the Spirit. And I pray, God, as we read your word today, uh, we'll be able to walk in your Spirit and we'll put aside the things that hinder and quench the Spirit. Uh, please speak to us today now, Father, through your word. We pray through Jesus, our Lord. Amen. Uh, I can show you this picture that is, uh, that's on our screen. Uh, different news outlets two weeks ago reported that this woman, her name is Olesia Suspasina. Olesia Suspasina. She's a, a Kazakhstan woman living in Turkey. She fell two weeks ago, more than 110 feet to her death in Italia, 
Turkey. She was on a cliffside posing for a photo to actually celebrate the end of the coronavirus lockdown. She was 31 years old. She was out hiking with a friend in a place called Duden Park following weeks, six weeks of the shelter-in-place orders in that city. She climbed over a safety fence in the park and she was posing for this picture uh, on the edge of a cliff in front of a scenic waterfall on the other side. And she ended up slipping and plummeting about 115 feet. And her death was ruled an accident. Imagine this. The joy and the excitement of finally being able to move ahead and move about freely after the shelter-in-place order was lifted. And that joy and that excitement became quickly extinguished by this tragedy. The joy and excitement and the freedom and the liberation, it was quenched. We've been digging in for the last four weeks now uh, about the Holy Spirit. Today's week five, to learn about and live by the Holy Spirit. Last week we introduced the whole idea that we can actually quench the Spirit. We want to live by the Spirit, walk in the Spirit, but we can actually quench this Spirit, quench the life and the joy and the freedom that's given to us by the Spirit. We can ignore this Spirit. We can hinder His work and quench Him. Uh, Last week we read in Ephesians and in, in 1 Thessalonians that it's possible to grieve the Spirit and put out or quench the Spirit's fire. We said that we grieve the Spirit when we sin. If I sin and rebel against God, disobey God, I grieve the Spirit, I wound Him and hurt Him. And so the remedy is, is to repent and turn from that sin. But if I continue to walk in sin, continue to live in sin, there's a difference between committing a sin and living in sin. If I continue to live in that sin, what I start to do is I start to quench the Spirit's fire. I start to extinguish the Spirit. I, turn, I start to deafen my ear to the Spirit's voice and His leading and talking and empowering to me. That's going to be our focus today. And next week, today's part one, next week is part two. This whole idea of quenching the Holy Spirit. How can we guard against it? How can we avoid it? And also, just to examine ourselves today, take an honest look at myself in the mirror and say, hey, you know what? You know what? Am I quenching the Spirit? Is there something going on in my life where I'm quenching that Spirit? Where I'm not walking in freedom and life and liberty? What we're going to do today is we're going to look at the Old Testament, a passage in the Old Testament, uh, starting out in Exodus 32. A little bit of history here. Um, that was about 3,500 years ago. We're going to go to a place called Mount Sinai or Mount Horeb. It's on the Sinai Peninsula, the Arab Peninsula. It's west of Egypt, across the Red Sea from Egypt. Um, When does this take place, this story in in Exodus 32? It takes place um, about three months after Moses led God's people out of Egypt. They had suffered in Egypt in slavery for 400 years. Moses led them out. Three months later, they're at Mount Sinai. They're camped here. About 600,000 people are camped here. And it's right here that they are receiving the laws of God. In Exodus chapter 20, they get the Ten Commandments from God. And then in Exodus chapter 24, Moses and 73 other leaders, they go up sort of into the foothills here. And they get to see God. God reveals himself to them. And then a cloud comes over the entire mountain. And Joshua and Moses go up further onto the mountain. And they are there for seven days And then after those seven days, Moses goes up into the cloud further, and he's up there for 40 days. Meanwhile, all the people are encamped by the mountain, and they can see the cloud. In fact, in in, uh, Exodus 24, verse 17, it says that they can see fire in that cloud. They know that the presence and the glory of God is there on that mountain. Moses is up there for 40 days. 
And he gets instructions from God, further instructions. He gets instructions about the tabernacle. He gets instructions about the offerings they're needing to make. And then they already received the Ten Commandments, but here on the mountain, God writes the Ten Commandments himself with uh, on, a, on a tablet of stone. So uh, chapters 25 through 31 of Exodus detail all those instructions that God gives. And we're going to pick it up in Exodus 32, verse 1. And it says, when the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, remember, he was up there 40 days plus the seven, where he was there with the 73 other leaders. When, they, when he was so long coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron. Now, who is Aaron? Aaron is Moses' older brother. He's three years older than Moses. Aaron was a leader of the people. He was recognized as, as Moses' second in command, and he would become the first high priest, Aaron would. So they gathered around Aaron. He was their leader since Moses was gone. And they said, hey, come make us gods who will go before us. They wanted to get out of here. They wanted Moses, or they, they, Moses was gone for so long, they wanted Aaron to make them some other gods. Come make gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses, who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what's happened to him. He could be dead. He's up on that mountain. We saw the fire. Maybe he was consumed by the fire. Let's get out of here. It's time to go. Uh, God led us here. Now we're on our own. We'll take it from here. Let me ask you a question. Uh, have you ever gotten impatient with God? Have you ever thought, well, you know what? He's gotten me this far. I'll take it from here. You want God to work according to your timetable? You want God to work according to your schedule? You've got to be careful when you grow impatient with God and start insisting that he adjust his schedule to your schedule. Be careful because bad things can happen. Let's take a look. Uh, verse 2 says, Aaron answered them. And here's a weak moment of leadership. Um, he, at this point, he's making a decision to be a people pleaser rather than a God pleaser as a leader. Aaron answered them, Take off the gold earrings that your wives, your sons, and your daughters are wearing and bring them to me. So all the people took off their earrings and brought them to Aaron. He took what they handed to him and made it into an idol, cast in the shape of a calf, fashioning it with a tool. Now this calf, this was a, a young bull. It was a symbol of power, of, of virility and power. What they were saying was, hey, we're a young people here. We're a strong people. We just defeated the Egyptians and got out of there. They weren't giving God the credit. They were taking the credit by making this bull. Then they said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you out of Egypt. They were taking credit for it themselves. Verse 5, when Aaron saw this, he built an altar in front of the calf and he announced, Tomorrow there will be a festival for the Lord. So Aaron's recognizing he made a mistake here. He's trying to regain a little bit of control here because it's getting out of control. See, Aaron and the people have forgotten that in Exodus 20, the very first commandment from God is do not worship any other God. Aaron's trying to reel them back in to worship God, but they're recognizing and they're testifying that this calf, that's their God. So they broke that first commandment. And the second commandment was, don't make idols. Don't worship idols. And they've quickly forgotten those commands of God and breaking it. Verse 6, So the next day the people rose early and they sacrificed burnt offerings and presented fellowship offerings. Now, they may have meant well. They may have had good intentions but their good intentions were unacceptable to God. They were abhorrent to God. They had burnt offerings, fellowship offerings, and afterward they sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. Now what does this word revelry mean? I was reading commentators and they said that this revelry means um, that it was, an, it was a drunken, immoral orgy 
with sexual play going on. It was just, it was just a crazy, it was, it was a type of worship that the pagans did. Verse 7, Then the Lord said to Moses, Go down, because your people who you brought up out of Egypt have become corrupt. This is what the Lord thought of their revelry. This is what the Lord thought of their festival to the Lord, that it was corrupt. It may, they may have meant well, but it was disobedient worship. Verse 8, God kept saying, they have been quick to turn away. Now listen, just to, want to point out, we will all, at different points in our life, turn away. We will. But we want to be quick to turn back, quick to repent, quick to return, quick to turn away from sin and turn back to God. Verse 8, they've been quick to turn away from what I commanded them and have made themselves an idol cast in the shape of a calf. They have bowed down to it and sacrificed to it and have said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. I have seen these people, the Lord said to Moses, and they are a stiff-necked people. Now, this word stiff-necked means that they're stubborn, that they are obstinate, they are impotent. Uh, they're not sensitive to the Holy Spirit. They have quenched the Holy Spirit. Now, this week and next week, we're going to uncover and discover nine, what I'm going to call spirits, that quenched the Holy Spirit's fire, like they were doing. Now, when I say the word spirit, um, I mean by spirit, the prevailing attitude of your heart. That's your spirit. For instance, during this COVID-19 separation, lockdown, stay safe thing, maybe that's caused you to fear, fear for your health, feel for your economics. I can be um, overcome by this spirit of fear. That's the prevailing attitude in my heart, a fearful spirit. That's what I mean. We're going to look at five different spirits today, four different spirits next week. And these spirits quench uh, and uh, put out the Holy Spirit's fire. We'll begin with God's assessment in verse 7 when he said to Moses, Go back down from the mountain, for the people have become corrupt. Uh, the first spirit that quenches the Holy Spirit is a corrupt spirit. Now this word in the Hebrew language, this word for corrupt, has a synonym and a word picture to it. The word picture of this word for corrupt is a picture of a pit. Uh, specifically, a pit where you would catch a lion. A deep pit that cannot be escaped from. A corrupt spirit will ensnare you. It will capture you. It will subdue you. It will bring you to ruin like a lion caught in a pit. If you have a corrupt spirit and continue to live corruptly, it will ensnare you in a pit. That's the word picture. The synonym, the synonym is the word destroyed. This word for corrupt also means destroyed. Not destroying, but destroyed. And it means that a corrupt spirit will lead to your destruction, your own destruction. You'll continue down a pathway of depravity towards destruction. What made these people corrupt? Why did God call them corrupt? The first thing was they were impatient with God. God was with Moses for 40 plus days. They wanted to get moving. They were impatient. They had an agenda. They had a timetable. Uh, they had just, this is weird to me. They had been walking for three months and they would sleep at night and such. And now they're camped out, a time to rest. Moses didn't come back down. They're like, let's go. We got to get going. We got to walk some more. I don't get that. But they were impatient with God, just like you and I can get impatient with God. That's the first step towards becoming corrupt. They were impatient, but they also had well-intentioned disobedience. Remember, they wanted to worship the God who helped them get out of Egypt, but they disobeyed by worshiping a false God, by making an idol. It was well-intentioned disobedience. And you might have the best of intentions, but if it is not obeying the, the Lord or his word, you're quenching the spirit. You're headed towards corruption, which eventually is depravity and then destruction. So impatience with God, well-intentioned disobedience. And the other thing that led to it was weak leadership. Do you 
you remember Aaron gave in to the people? He was a people pleaser instead of a God pleaser. Just emphasizes the importance of in the church, strong, biblical, humble leadership, following the lead of the Holy Spirit. The church is supposed to be the body of Christ. Christ is the head of the church. The leaders need to listen to the head, follow the head, obey the head. They had weak leadership and that led to corruption in the people. You know, we, uh, we live in uh, a day and age where it's very common and almost expected for our politicians to be corrupt, where they're making side deals. You think about people go into politics and then they come out millionaires. How does that happen? We think about these different corrupt deals. I read uh, where somebody told a story that there were, um, there were some repairs that were needed at the White House. And so they had a, um, three contractors came in, one from uh, Louisiana, one from Kentucky, one from Illinois. The people from, Illinois, from uh, Louisiana came in and they took out the ruler, measured their, the dimensions of what the repairs that needed to be done. They submitted a bill for $9,000. They said it would be 4000 for materials, 4000 for labor, 1000 for profit for the boss. The team from Kentucky said it's going to cost 7000 3000 for labor, 3000 for materials, 1000 for the profit for the boss. Uh, the team from Illinois came in and they didn't take any measurements. They didn't write any figures. They just said it's going to cost $27,000. They said, $27,000, why so much? You didn't even take a measurement. They said, $10,000 for you, $10,000 for me, and we'll pay $7,000 to the team from Kentucky. And they said, that's how politics works. That's how the whole coronavirus bill works. They get their money and pay everybody else just a little bit. And that's just what we come to expect from politics, but it's not just there. This corrupt idea is all over our world. Uh, my wife, Stacy, 30 years ago, worked at a Christian camp, and the director of that camp would tell you today that Stacy was the best counselor that they've ever had in all these different years. Uh, before that camp started in the summer, one year when she was in college, there was a couple weeks where uh, somebody that her dad knew had some work that needed to be done, cleaning up the restaurant that they were going to open up. So Stacy went over there and was scrubbing and cleaning and painting and all these things. And after, I think it was just one week, they paid her, but they paid her under the table. No taxes taken out, no taxes reported. That was a corrupt way to do things, and she quit. She wouldn't have anything to do with that. These people... We're doing what was right in their own eyes rather than in the eyes of God. And that was corrupt. Corruption is the opposite of character. The Holy Spirit will always lead us to higher character. But a corrupt spirit undermines that character. Um, the, a corrupt spirit leads us to sin and unchecked sin and an unrepentant heart leads us to depravity and then to destruction. And you're caught in a pit like a lion. The Holy Spirit, he leads to life, to freedom, to enjoyment, to contentment, to settledness. But a corrupt spirit undermines that, leads us to sin, to impatience, to doing what is right in our own eyes, and eventually to this pit that leads to destruction. The second spirit that we see here that quenches the Holy Spirit is a callous spirit. A callous spirit. Verse 9 says, God called them a stiff-necked people. And remember what that means, that they were stubborn, they were obstinate, they insisted on doing things their own way. This is a cold heart, a callous heart. It's cold and callous towards God and towards His ways. These people... They were loved by God. They were redeemed and rescued by God from slavery. These people had spent all their lives, their entire life in slavery, in bondage. They were always being told what to do and being forced to do it. And now they were free. And they didn't want God's ways. They didn't want God's rules. Uh, they didn't want God to cramp their style. They said, hey, let's pick up and let's go. We want to go when we want. We want to worship what we want. 
And we want to have a little revelry in there too. This was a callous heart towards the God who saved them and towards his ways. In the New Testament, in Galatians 5.13, Paul writes, You were called to be free, not to live in slavery or bondage to sin. You're no longer a slave to sin. You now, you have the power of the Holy Spirit living in you to live righteously, to really enjoy life free from sin, free from the pit, free from destruction. Galatians 5.13 says, You were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Do not use your freedom to have a callous heart towards God. Rather, use your freedom to serve one another in love. It's one of the things we love doing at Freedom. That's why we're having this workday. Our, our, our regathering launch is this workday on, on May 30th. Serve one another in love. You see, the Holy Spirit will lead you to serve other people. A callous spirit will lead you to indulge yourself. It's a self-centeredness. Not an other-centeredness, and certainly not a God-centeredness that the Holy Spirit leads us to have. What leads people to a callous heart? Well, in this situation, um, it's a D word. It's a word distance. The people were distant from God. Moses was close. Joshua was close. But they were at a distance. They were observing the glory of God, but not experiencing the glory of God because they were at a distance. And the longer you distance yourself from God, the more likely you are to be calloused in your heart towards God. If you put away God's word and don't spend time in God's word daily, several days a week, most of the days of the week, um, you're going to grow callous towards God. Uh, One of the dangers of this distancing time is where people say, you know what, I love doing church at home. I can just watch it on TV. And and by the way, when we start meeting together, I know that some people will be uh, still a little cautious, people who are at risk for for infection and might want to stay home longer. And that's perfectly fine. We're going to still work to to, uh, live stream on Sunday mornings for that. But there's a danger of, you know what, I don't want to go to church anymore. I don't want to meet with God's people anymore. I'm more comfortable that's a self-indulgent spirit. And that's, there's a danger in that because you're distancing yourself from God and his people. So what leads to a callous heart? It's distance from God. And there's another D word besides distance. And that word is disappointment. When God doesn't meet your expectations, you can become disappointed in God. And that can make you more distant from God. Um, That can make you not want to trust God, even though he's got your best in mind. If he disappoints you and doesn't meet your expectations, you can grow callous towards him. And what's the antidote for that? The antidote is to trust him, to, to look at the scriptures and see how he's been so faithful over the years. Just to look back recently, like these guys should have, he just saved us. He just rescued us from slavery. We're free people now. And not be disappointed with God, but trust him to trust his process of what he's doing. Well, let's keep moving. Uh, we're going to do, we're gonna do a, a quick fast forward snapshot uh, for our next quenching spirit. We're going to actually look ahead 39 years. Moses is still leading the people. They're still in the wilderness. Um, they're just a year, less than a year away from entering the final destination of the promised land. Let me, let me show you a map here. Um, they started in Egypt, and then they would cross the Red Sea, and in three months' time, get to Mount Sinai. And this is where they camped, and they were there for about a year. This is where Exodus 32 took place. They got the Ten Commandments. The people made the golden calf. They camped there, and we're not going to see it today, but, but Moses, as punishment, they actually melted down that golden calf, put it in water, and made all the people drink. How do you like that? So after they left, they traveled, came to the entrance of the promised land, sent spies into the promised land. It's a good land, everything the Lord promised them, but people were afraid. They were faithless, didn't trust God's faithfulness. And so they ended up wandering in the desert for the next 38 years till all the people who rebelled against God died. Then they came to, ready to enter. They were going to cross 
Mount Hor, H-O-R, but the people of Edom would not let them, so they are traveling around Mount Hor. And this is where this story takes place in Numbers chapter 21, verses 4 and 5. They traveled from Mount Hor along the route to the Red Sea to go around Edom. And you saw that on the map. But the people grew impatient along the way. Here's that word again. Remember, that's a first step in, in becoming corrupt is this impatience. The people grew impatient along the way. And what did they do? They spoke against God and against Moses. And this is what they said. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the desert? Hey, it was a good thing to be rescued from slavery. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the desert? You've been in the desert for the last 39 years. God has provided for you. He has protected you. He's been leading you. Then they said, there's no bread. There's no water. And we detest this miserable food. God was providing for them miraculously every day, providing their daily needs. And they're starting to complain. What did they do here? They had a complaining spirit. Verse 5 says that they spoke against God and they spoke out against Moses. Uh, in 1 Samuel 15.23, we see that this rebellious spirit speaking out against God, this, re- this rebellion, it's, it's compared to witchcraft. Rebellion is like the sin of witchcraft. Rebellion is demonic, having this rebellious spirit. What did they rebel and complain about? They rebelled and complained about God's provision. They said, we detest this miserable food that God miraculously provided for them. God provided their needs, not their excessive wants. They wanted more, but God gave them what they needed. Here's a question. Um, Is it okay to complain to God if he doesn't provide what I want? I would say it's dangerous. Just remember that it's okay to have wants. It's, it's perfectly fine to have wants. But a lot of times, God doesn't provide your wants just yet when you want it. Maybe it's, 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 it's times away. They wanted to leave, but Moses is saying, or God was saying, just not, not yet. Uh, we've been honored to, to host our, our Bible teaching for freedom here in our, in our living room. God's provided for us just a really nice house. We, we're thankful for it. We've lived here about a year. Um, I'm 52 years old. I've been a pastor for 31 years. Been married for 30 years. And over those times, I have lived in small town neighborhoods. I've lived in subdivisions. I've lived in mobile home parks. And I've always wanted to live in the country. And now God's provided us 10 acres, uh, a really nice house, a modest house. It's only 1,800 square feet, but it's a nice house. It's a beautiful place to live. And we're thankful for it. That's something that I've wanted for a long time. And over those 29, 30, 31 years, you know, God just said, not yet. Um, some people have asked about, man, they said it's a really beautiful house. And I've, I've told them, you know what it is? Um, it's 30 years of hard work and saving, driving old cars, and we don't drink fancy coffees. We don't spend a lot, any money on Starbucks and all those other things. Some people spend thousands of dollars a year on that. It just takes time. And if that's a want, sometimes God will give those wants, just not yet. And people are impatient about it. So they were complaining because God wasn't providing for them what they wanted, even though he was providing for them what they needed. The second thing they were complaining about was God's direction and his leading. Why'd you bring us up out of Egypt to die here in this desert? They were complaining about where God was leading and how he was leading them. They had been slaves in Egypt. Uh, They were in the desert, not because of God, but because of their own unfaithfulness. Remember when they were supposed to enter the promised land and they were unfaithful and then they had to wander for another 38 years? That wasn't on God. That was on them. But sometimes God does take us through the desert. He does take us through the wilderness. He teaches us to listen, teaches us to obey, teaches us to trust Those are all good things. Remember, when the Holy Spirit came upon Jesus, he filled Jesus, and then he led Jesus into the wilderness. 
And so the God, God will lead us into the wilderness. This Holy Spirit will lead us into the wilderness. And the Holy Spirit will lead us to have a thankful heart. That's the opposite of a complaining heart. A thankful spirit rather than a complaining spirit. I want to recommend uh, a habit to start. Uh, a good exercise is, is when you wake up, ask the Holy Spirit. And you've heard me say this before. Ask the Holy Spirit. When you wake up in the morning, fill me today. Lead me today. Empower me today. And as you're praying that, start thinking of all the things God has done for you. Friends, family, possessions, times he has helped you out. And be thankful. Start the day by being thankful. That helps to combat this, this complaining spirit. So thank God. And then ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you through his word. Remember, that's one of the things that he, he does. And when you're tempted to complain, think about the things that you're thankful for. Uh, in fact, make a list and write down the things you're thankful for so you can go back to that list. And when you do complain, I'm going to encourage you to do it privately, not publicly. Don't put it out on Facebook. Too many people are putting all their complaints out on Facebook. Do it privately. And when you complain, complain to God. Some of the Psalms are complaints to God. Go to God in prayer with your complaint and what he does is he really helps give us perspective. He can remind us of all that he's done and he can take away that complaining spirit and replace it with a thankful spirit. The next spirit that quenches the Holy Spirit goes hand in hand with this complaining spirit. And this next spirit is a critical spirit. Now right here in Numbers 21 verse 5, we saw that the people were critical of the food that God provided. They were critical of how God was leading them and God's timing in it. Back in Exodus 32, verse 1, the people were critical of how long Moses was taking up on the mountain. Now, in Numbers, they were specifically critical about God. In Exodus 32, they're specifically critical about Moses. They are critical with God and critical about other people. Now, is it ever okay to be critical about God? Like I just said, I think it's okay to complain to God, but not complain about God, and certainly not be critical about God. You can complain to God by taking your, your frustrations to him, like we see in the Psalms and with Job. But I would watch yourself, if you think about criticizing God, uh, if you criticize God, you're saying that you know better than he does. You're saying that you know more than he does, you're saying that you are wiser than he is. You're saying that you are kinder than, than he is. That's dangerous ground to criticize and to complain about God and his ways and his working. Well, what about people? Is it ever okay to be critical of other people? Like on one hand, you don't want to have a critical spirit or a negative spirit, or be a critical or negative person, always looking for what's wrong with everybody else. What that does is that quenches the Holy Spirit. You become filled with and controlled by this criticism rather than the Holy Spirit. So on one hand, you don't want to be a negative, critical person. But on the other hand, Jesus was critical sometimes. Who was he critical of? He was critical of religious, self-righteous people, hypocritical people, and hypocritical, sinful actions. Now, as a general rule, you want to be critical of actions more than critical of the people who commit those actions. But sometimes um, it may be necessary to be critical of people. In the Bible, we see that we are to be critical of false teachers. And I've done that before and named specific false teachers that we're to be critical of because in the scriptures we see false teachers named and criticized. We're to be critical of people who are hypocrites and live in hypocrisy. We're to be critical in the Proverbs of people who are liars, deceivers, and manipulators. We're supposed to be critical and call those things out. And also be critical of fools, people who live foolish lives. But make sure 
that the criticism is led by the Holy Spirit, not not motivated by my own pride, not motivated by my own selfish ambition to put someone else down so that I'm lifted up. Got to make sure that it's led by the Holy Spirit, not a critical spirit. Well, let's move along and finish up. There's one final uh, type of attitude or spirit that quenches the Holy Spirit, and that's what I call a cover-up spirit. Now, I'm assuming you know who this is. This is President Nixon. Um, He was guilty of spying, illegally wiretapping the opposing political party, and then when he was caught, he covered it up. That kind of stuff wouldn't happen today in our political system, of course. Well, let's go back to Exodus 21. I'm sorry, Exodus 32. And uh, the people, remember, they had a corrupt and they had a critical spirit. Aaron made them a golden calf, this idol. They worshipped the idol. They, um, They took part in this revelry, this immorality. Moses came down from the mountain, and this is what happened in Exodus 32. Uh, Verse 21 says, he said to Aaron, what did these people do to you that you led them into such great sin? This is a great sin. Wasn't just sin, but this is a great sin. And you led them into it, Aaron. Do not be angry, my Lord, Aaron answered. You know how prone these people are to evil. Yup. Moses knew they were prone to evil. That's why they needed leaders who would not lead them into evil or acquiesce their evil intentions. They needed leaders who would lead them away from evil into righteousness. And they needed the Holy Spirit to lead the leaders, to fill the leaders, to empower the leaders, to help lead people into righteousness. Verse 23, Aaron said, Well, they said to me, Make us gods who will lead, who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what's happened to him. So I told them, whoever has any gold jewelry, take it off. And they gave me the gold. I threw it into the fire and out came this calf. What? Really? Is that true? I mean, we know that's not true, but that's so far-fetched. There's no way that could be true. You just throw some gold in a fire, and this calf, did it walk out? Did it fly out? Did it crawl out? Did it just all of a sudden poof, and it's there? It came out? Man, I'm telling you what, this is a big cover-up on Aaron's part. He was covering his own rear. He should have owned up, but instead he covered up. Remember we said that the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin. He shines the light, the lantern, exposes our own sin. Why does he do that? So that we can own up and turn from it and repent and turn back to God in freedom and in joy and in life. A spirit of cover up keeps you in that sin. It quenches the Holy Spirit and his work to convict of that sin. We see here there's two different ways that Aaron covered up. And guess what? We do it too. The first thing he did was he made excuses. Uh, In verse 24, he made an excuse. What was the excuse? He said, I put the gold in the fire. And amazingly, it's a miracle. This calf came out of the fire. In other words, he said, I was just trying to serve the people well. And this just happened. It just happened to happen. This was an excuse. He was covering it up by making an excuse and making excuses quenches the Holy Spirit and the work he's trying to do to get you to own up. What are some excuses that you and I make when the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin? And we do. We still sin when he convicts us so that we'll repent and turn back to God, to joy, to life, to freedom. We make the excuse. You know what? It's not that bad. What I did, it wasn't a big deal. It was just a little mistake. Or we call it, uh, I messed up. Or I did a boo-boo. That's making an excuse because it's sin. It's disobeying God. No matter how good your intentions may be, it's a sin. We also make the excuse, well, no one got hurt by my sin. No one will ever know about that sin. Or I've heard people say, well, God wants me to be happy. That's an excuse to sin. The truth is, 
that making excuses is a cover-up spirit and it quenches the work of the Holy Spirit. And so does blaming other people. In verse 32, Aaron said, those people are prone to evil. It's their fault. Verse 23, he said, they said to me, make us gods. It's their fault. Verse 24, he said, they gave me the gold. It's their fault. He was blaming other people. He covered up by blaming other people, not owning up and taking responsibility for his part in the dirty deed. We live in a blame culture. When there's a problem, we're always looking to see whose fault is it. Even during this COVID-19 time, people are wanting to blame. Let's blame China. Let's blame a, a conspiracy. Let's blame the president because, you know, we complained about it when he closed the borders. Now we're complaining about it that he didn't act soon enough. We're blaming somebody else. We want to fire somebody, impeach somebody, sue somebody. We live in a complaining or, or we live in a blaming culture, a cover-up culture. Um, I'm a pastor here at, at Freedom Bible Church. I'm just part-time as, as the pastor here. I also work with the ministry, and you guys know that. Sun Life Ministry has been involved with them for a lot of years, but on staff for, for eight years. And uh, currently, my title is a director of coaching, work with and coach, uh, train and mentor pastors across the United States and Canada. Um, but previously, my job title had been director of leader development. And I still work and develop a lot of leaders. And in working with leaders and doing a lot of study and reading and, and working and being trained and mentored, um, realize that there's different rungs of leadership. And for a lot of years, people considered a level four leader as the highest rung of leadership. And a level four leader is somebody who, imagine an office with a window looking out at the plant floor. And that level four leader is able to look out that window. And when there's a problem, that level four leader, from their vantage point, they can pinpoint where the problem is, who caused the problem, and how to fix that problem. And they say that's the highest level of leadership, to, to be able to distinguish those things and quickly fix that problem. There's actually a higher level of leadership, a, a, a level five leadership, that fifth rung leadership, where instead of looking out the window to see what other people may have done wrong and blame somebody else, where that level five leader actually looks into a mirror and they identify first where they failed or where they made a mistake, where they take ownership of it instead of blaming somebody else, because um, every problem is a leadership problem and every problem if you're a leader starts with you to fix that problem where you can see where you made the mistake first rather than blaming somebody else take the blame no excuses no blaming listening to the holy spirit and take responsibility and then fix it that's all for today um, we looked at five c words five spirits that quenched the Holy Spirit. We saw a corrupt spirit, a callous spirit, a complaining spirit, a critical spirit, and a cover-up spirit. All those spirits will quench the Holy Spirit's work in your life. And I want to ask you the question, do you have any of these spirits in your life? Do you have multiple attitudes or spirits like this in your life? Maybe you don't right now currently, but are you prone to any of those things? I can personally lean towards having this critical spirit. Do you, are you prone to any one of these things? Uh, this week, I want you to ask the Holy Spirit to identify one of these spirits, these quenching spirits that you need to distance yourself from, that you need to crucify, that you need to overcome. So if it's a corrupt spirit, it's to repent and pursue righteousness and obedience. If it's this callous spirit, it's to close that distance with God, not have these unrealistic expectations and disappointment with God, but to close in on him and draw near to him and he'll draw near to you. If you have this complaining spirit, think about all the things God has done for you and replace it with a thankful spirit and think of things you can thankful for. If it's a critical spirit, Rather than looking at other people critically, look at other people to compliment them rather than to criticize them. And if it's a cover-up spirit, to look in the mirror and own up, not cover up, 
and then repent. Don't blame other people. Don't make excuses. Just take that responsibility. Let's pray together. Father, I want to pray for um, for me. Pray for all of our people who joined us. Pray for our, our Freedom Bible Church family. Father, that, that we would let the Holy Spirit break through and have His way in our lives. Father, we pray that any of these sinful spirits or attitudes that have taken root in our, in our that we'd pull those roots out, that you would do that weeding, that we would humble ourselves, repent and return to you, that we would let the Holy Spirit have full authority to control us and lead us and empower us and fill us. Lord, please uh, just take these roots out of us, grow us, set us free. You are setting your people free in Exodus and Numbers. Lord, we want to walk in that same freedom, not having any of these spirits. Uh, Do that in us, we pray, through Jesus. Amen. What's our disciple-making pathway this week? Uh, Our memory verse, and I love this, from Romans 15, 13. It's a little long, but it's a great verse. May the Lord, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. If God's people in Exodus and Numbers had just let the God of hope give them joy and peace by trusting in Him, they weren't trusting in Him, then they will overflow with joy, peace, and hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. And then what's our assignment? Uh, we're finishing up reading Acts. So read Acts chapters 24 through 28. See how the Holy Spirit was working in the apostles. And then examine your spirit, your attitude this week. And ask the Holy Spirit to help you to change your attitudes if any of them are hindering or quenching His work that's in your life. I want to welcome you back next week. We're going to look at four final C words that are spirits or prevailing attitudes of the heart that quench the Holy Spirit. Looking forward to seeing you back next week. Uh, please pray for our leaders this week as we gather together to, uh, to make decisions, try to listen to the Lord about when we can regather on a Sunday morning. God bless you. Have a great week.